Hi, I'm Sophie, and you're listening to Navigating New York, a podcast where I chat with people living and working in one of the most fast-paced cities in the world. Through these conversations, I hope to make living in the Big Apple a little less overwhelming. As the song goes, if you can make it here, you'll make it anywhere. So whether you're living here now, planning to move, or just interested in hearing real stories from people pursuing that American dream, I hope that you enjoy. My guest on this episode is the hilarious New York-based Irish comedian Katie Boyle. Katie moved to New York eight years ago and did her first ever stand-up show here. She's now a regular at New York Comedy Club, Stand Up NY, Eastville and on shows at Caroline's on Broadway. Katie also recently taped a comedy special and she has her own hilarious podcast called The Shift. We talked about so many different things in this episode including what it's like to do stand-up full-time, how, in her own words, bombing her arse off on stage has helped her to improve. She gives some really great tips on living on a budget in New York, and what I felt was really powerful was how she openly talked about going to therapy and how important that is. Katie is absolutely hilarious and so humble. She's really taken off on the comedy scene here and it's been so exciting to see her become so popular and well-followed. So make sure you check out Katie's shows in New York. She's also going to be performing in Dublin at Whelan's this Christmas. So follow her online at Katie Boyle Comic and check out her website katieboylecomic.com. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Well, Katie... Welcome to Navigate in New York. I am so, so happy to have you as a guest on. I think your story is going to be really interesting to our listeners, given that you are Irish and living in New York and doing such interesting and fun things. So thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. So I guess we'll get started by just having you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how you ended up in NYC. So my name is Katie. I know, you know, when people are like, you should introduce yourself. I'm like, who am I? What am I? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've been living here for nearly eight years. I came over here to do art originally. I studied at Dunleary and then I just started comedy when I came over here straight away and I just loved it. So I've been doing stand up here for over seven years and yeah just once I started doing it I didn't stop and yeah I think being in New York was fun because it was like nobody knew you you could just try things you would never at home so that's yeah that was kind of my that's why I'm still here yeah amazing and did you do any sort of performance or stand-up whenever you were in Ireland no even some of my like family called me being like you're doing stand-up like I didn't know you were funny I was like sound thanks (laughs) but no I never even the art I did I put everybody else in it like because I did do some video art but I would never have even thought of putting myself in the video like that was mental to me I didn't like giving talks or presentations at school or college was my nightmare so it wasn't until I came over here and I had a group of friends, like a different group of friends, and I'd be telling them stories and they were like, oh, my God, you're so funny. Did you ever think about doing comedy? And I was like, no. But I think because my friends back home were all like really funny and loud. I never really I don't know. I don't remember anyone saying I was funny, if that makes sense. Yeah, that is interesting because I always think that like about Irish people, not to make a massive generalization, but we have such a good sense of humor and nobody ever like encourages you to be like, 
you know, it's more like you'll get slagged and not be like appreciated for how hilarious you are. So it's brilliant that you discovered that when you got here and felt like you were in a space. I always think that as well, like there's something really empowering about the anonymity of being in New York. Absolutely. You can do whatever you want. You dress up as like a pigeon and people will be like, good for them. Do you know? It's... Have you done that? No, no. Just because I wouldn't even know where to get the feathers. <laughs> but like my sister came to visit and she even said the same thing. She felt that it was really nice here that you can kind of, if you're weird, it's celebrated and you're allowed to be an individual. And I do think... Uh, I think Ireland seems to be getting a lot better for that. But I do think traditionally it's kind of like, all right, get back in your box. <laughs> but that's interesting that you've always been like a creative person, especially if you were so into art. Do you think that creativity has helped you with your comedy and your material? Definitely. I would say going to art college really helped with doing stand-up because in Dunleary anyway they give you like weekly criticism so it's not even just on the creative part definitely on the creative part because you have to be creative and you have to set your own schedule and you have to be able to like think of stuff but in Dunleary they would make you do weekly criticism classes so everybody would have to critique your art and it couldn't be positive so I feel like when I started comedy I wasn't like offended if someone didn't laugh, laugh at a joke I was just like how can I fix this which I know like a lot of my friends when they started they found that really hard but for me it was like no of course this is going to take a while to like figure it out um, and that was all just because of when I was in college they really made you have a thick skin about your own you know your own work. Well that's amazing to hear that because when I think about stand-up I'm like there's a, a, an element to it that you obviously need to be confident and you need to you want to do it because you're on stage and you've chosen to be there but I just admire so much how you would get up and like that maybe you have a terrible show or the audience and you don't connect that night have you ever had I guess let's go back to your your first few you know years in stand-up what was that journey like for you? Um, I feel like the first few months you're kind of deluded because you have like all that adrenaline and if you get a couple of laughs that's great but then you start to like learn about the craft and you're like all oh, right okay I should be getting way more especially in New York they expect really tight material really tight jokes yeah so the start you're kind of just having the crack you don't really care you're like oh you you such an adrenaline rush when you get on stage that you kind of don't really remember it if that makes sense but then you start to like become more aware the worst show I ever had was in Dublin though when I, I think I was only two years into comedy and I went back and I'd had a great show in Cork and they were all so nice and the headliner was like you might I don't know if you guys know him but his name's Damo he's this Australian guy and he was like he took my phone before I got up to like tape my set for me which I was like I think I deleted afterwards because I was like I'm never going to need or like a while after it wasn't anything I was going to need but it was really nice of him to do that like he'd know uh, he's just a sweetheart and then I went and did a show in Dublin and a guy just heckled me the whole time. And I could feel like my face being red on stage. And I kept thinking like, oh my God, I've like 10 more minutes. I've like eight more minutes. And on stage, I was like, this isn't worth it. Like, I'm gonna, I'm like, I'm not, I, I can't. This was, I traveled two hours for this. But afterwards he was like, oh, that was so much fun. Like, and he was just trying to be nice and trying to like help, you know, but I just wasn't able to deal with that. And now I like love doing crowd work and I interact with the audience all the time and, if someone heckles me, it's like a fun sort of like I'm going to like take them on, if that makes sense, and roast them. But uh, at the time, that was like the worst gig ever. And I really did consider like I was like, this isn't fucking worth it. Uh, yeah. But I kept doing it. So. So had you done stand up in New York and then you did those gigs in Ireland? 
yeah I came back and the gig in Cork was fine because it wasn't like a lot of pressure none of my friends were there but when I went to the one in Dublin it was the first time my friends were seeing me so I was like really nervous and they were mm. all out and they just saw me bomb my arse off <laughs> and look was at you though. that yeah. is so funny I relate to that because recently I became a yoga teacher and it's just something I'm doing on the side and whenever I graduated from the course you do these practice teaches with different community classes for free which I love because you meet like people of all different levels and there's no pressure on you because it's free and then um, I'm in this like little studio in Hoboken where we get critiqued by teachers kind of like you would have in, in your degree and um, I did like a really good class on the Saturday recently with a community, a free community class. And I was like, I've got this, like I've nailed the queuing and everything. And then I kind of rolled into the next day for the more kind of professional one. And I, I know it sounds bizarre, but I felt like I completely bombed and I was mixing yeah. up my words and I was getting critiqued by the teacher. I'm like, <laughs> your ego, I was just thinking there, you must have to keep your ego very much in check when you're on doing stand up, because in one way mm. you need to be full of confidence, but in another way, your ego can tell you like, no, this isn't worth it. Oh, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I think it's really important to like, and even in that situation, that's so similar. And I'm sure any listeners have had things where they've gone in for a first day at a job and was the best at their last job. But then they're yeah. like, oh, fuck, I'm not. But yeah, no, definitely about the ego. I think you have to keep the ego out of it for everything. Like I, I've seen some comedians recently have such an ego and I'm like, oh, you're not doing it that long. Like, or you're just like, it's not at any level and then you'll see like the best the most famous comedians recently there was a comedian I think there is a mouse behind me by the way oh I can God. fucking hear it I can fucking this New York living classic New York <laughs> but um there's a famous comedian and he's so nice and I I just experienced where a younger comedian had a big ego about something and then I was working with him and he was so nice and so sweet and it was just like it's so important no matter how famous like that is like he's famous he could have an ego but he doesn't have an ego about him at all and plus as well with comedy and the audience if the audience isn't feeling you like they're half your job so like it's a two-way street so I always think if I'm having like not a great set it's on it's me it's like what am I doing I'm not connecting so I like make sure to make eye contact or look at them or like just talk to them then like don't just do my material you know Mm -hmm. so that's the thing with comedy it's very it's half the audience it's not just half you does that make sense yeah a hundred percent it's it's kind of depends on the crowd so I totally understand what you mean and having the ability for you now after all this experience to be able to kind of shift your own material and be present in the room I think your social media is so good because you know if you check out Katie's social or her Instagram I'll post it with this episode there's so many little clips of you on stage and it's so funny. I laugh out loud watching your clips because of how you do that sort of back and forth with the audience. And I wonder, I'm like, how did she think of that response so quickly? You know, that's probably part of the art form that you've developed over the past few years, would you say? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think for me, it's, you know, like even that talking about the set in Dublin and like bombing my arse off was really important because I still did it afterwards and it's kind of like who cares if you're bombing all the time for years yeah maybe choose a different profession but those sets where you kind of fail give you the confidence to be like whatever if this doesn't work and then when you're like whatever if this doesn't work it tends to work they sense it if you're like confident and you know if it doesn't work you just kind of like let the silence and move on to like it's just a, a two second thing that might not an interaction with an audience member that might not work and you just move on to the next thing it's fine but for me it, it was 
figuring out to just say the first thing that's in your head and not worry about it like yeah. have a filter like thankfully I'm not inside a terrible person like I'm not like gonna say something like against minorities or something do you know what I mean if you're like if that's what's your inside maybe don't like that inside brain come out but yeah my inside thoughts are just really strange and so I think I have no filter so when an audience member says something I'll just say the first thing out of my head and then that's usually I think hopefully the funniest because it's the most truthful truthful things are the funniest that is so interesting to hear that because I think it's a natural gift that you obviously have and that, you know, stand-ups have. I assume this kind of quick-wittedness might also be a result of the environment that you're in. Like in New York, I find even when I moved here eight years ago as well, like you have to be, even if in terms of getting a job for any of our listeners, basically I used to find it quite intimidating whenever, you know, you'd maybe be at an event or you'd have a job interview and the person would be like, so what do you do? And as Irish people, I think that we kind of retreat back and you're kind of like, well, I kind of um, do this and you kind of talk in circles. And here, when you're in New York, you have to be very to the point and direct and not waste anyone's time because nobody has time. They want the information right now. Do you feel like that's affected the way that you perform? Definitely. But I also felt like that when I was growing up because my dad's attention span, I truly think me like my dad and a few members in our family, I, I was a kid I was told I have ADD and I just have never followed up on it I'll concentrate to to really listen to people because it really bothers me when people don't listen to me but like I make that conscious effort whereas my dad and he's the best but like if you don't tell him a sentence as efficiently as possible he'll just zone off or like turn up the tv god if he listens to this now if anyone's listening because sometimes they tell my dad stuff I say on the podcast don't say this back to him because he is a great man but I I always felt like I needed to say things very efficiently to him um Mm -hmm. or get my story out with his minimum words but so I've thought about that a lot like because that's the same in New York too yeah you have to Mm -hmm. say it as quickly as possible and for on stage so And with the Irish environment too, I feel like sometimes everybody's so funny, everybody's loud to get a word in edgeways, you know, (laughs) say something as quick as possible. Absolutely. And I'm from a big family. I'm one of seven. So I very much relate to that. If you were too slow, you would just never be heard. Um, And you have that kind of healthy competition of wanting to be the center of attention. Did you have that as a child growing up in your family? Did you enjoy getting attention? I don't know because well, I am one of five but I'm way older but I think so because I do love attention if I were like to really admit it you know you that seems like a bad thing to admit yes. and then you're yeah. like doing stand-up in New York and it's like well it's a bit dumb now to deny that <laughs> I'm actually really shy leave me yeah, alone <laughs> no I love I love attention I used to love attention off men as well oh my god like I would be just dating absolute mentalers just for the attention off them but um I'm trying to think as a kid I don't think so because I drew a lot and I was pretty much just I played with myself a lot so I don't know when the attention thing came in I would love to be able to do what you do so I mean there is that anyone who is a performer or has that sort of creativity when you're making people laugh I don't think it counts as like I love attention like you're actually (laughs) it it does in in a little way but you're doing it's a brilliant talent and For you to have had the confidence and the want to try that in New York and for it to have now your whole career, that to me is, it's not just a thing like I want to be at the center of attention. (laughs) Like you're doing something, you're fulfilling something within yourself that is an amazing gift. So you're following your path and I really admire that. 
And then I was thinking as well, like just before the podcast, thinking about like how, and I hate bringing up COVID again and the pandemic, but you know, for performers and creatives in particular, I feel like that was obviously such a difficult time. How, how did that affect your career trajectory at the time? Well, just, you know, when you were saying about like the, with the stand-up thing, I think for me too, it's that when I did art, it was very isolating. And so when you do comedy, it was an automatic community. And then it was like making people laugh instead of making people be like, hmm, what does this mean? <laughs> and it was just so much more rewarding. So I think that's what put me in there because I, I, I could never have imagined myself, even now, like doing face on TikToks, that's like the most mental thing to me. I would have never had the confidence before, but with the pandemic was, I would never wish the pandemic on us or ever again, but it helped my career so much because all the great comics fecked off you know they were like well we can take a year or two off we'll go off to like Costa Rica or whatever or they went home to their hometowns and would just work in their home clubs and all the comedy clubs needed to survive so they did all these like outdoor shows or roof shows so the comics who stayed got better spots and better pay so I was always in at these clubs but like I wasn't really like I was doing guest spots or getting like the lowest pay spot. And all of a sudden then I was getting like the way better paid spots. And I got prom nearly promoted in a lot of clubs and seen a lot better by these bookers. So that really like put my career on a, a much better path. So I was doing all these like, outdoor shows. Also, I started a Zoom show like pretty quickly. And then I started doing TikTok. So I wouldn't have really done TikTok before either. And then, oh, and then focused on my Instagram. Whereas before you're just focusing on the live and being out there. And the best thing I ever did was focus on my Instagram because now that means I can go headline and I'm kind of like bypassing a, a gatekeeper because I can go and just talk to the people who follow me and be like, if you want to come, I'm going to be here, send me your email. And so this summer was the first summer I was really going out and headlining and I was able to get people to come out to shows just from my social media. And that was just from having the time in the pandemic. Because the, before the pandemic, I was working, I was doing stand-up, working at a bar, babysitting. And at one point I was also doing sales. So I was just non-stop and I didn't know how to relax. And I was, I had this whole like, and Irish people are very like this, where I, our identity is based off working hard. And we just think we have to like non-stop go. And that's very similar to New York culture. So that's why I think Irish people do really well over here. Because we're like, yeah, of course we'll like work our arse off for nothing. Why would we? Yeah. <laughs> So the pandemic was great because I was like, oh, I can do this and I can relax. And I really got to just focus on comedy. And uh, out of the pandemic, I started, you know, full time doing comedy. I do work still one day, one odd day at a bar just as like security, just in mm -hmm. case. But yeah, so the pandemic really helped me. But sorry for anybody that it wrecked their life. <laughs> I had a feeling that was what you were going to say, because it was during the pandemic that I started this podcast. And I totally agree with you. I've like I was tallying at one time that I had like three jobs for two jobs at least for five years of my time here and was I satisfied no was I making much money no I was just surviving and just thinking this was what I had to do so it's really inspirational I think to hear people say that especially you know somebody in your line of work where it really is about being a self-starter and I think that whenever we tap into the ability to just reassess where our effort is and where our time is, then we can, you know, from different episodes on this podcast, I've heard people say that you don't need to like 
burn everything that you've done and say like I'm quitting my job I want to follow my passion but there is a really unique ability I think in New York to juggle things have your bread and butter job and then start to like blend in your passion and then hopefully like you you're a shining example of that now you're basically full-time comedian it's so fab yeah and I would say as well like I think you're dead right people can definitely and people should explore what they love. I think you really can, in this day and age, make money off what you love. There's so much opportunity with the internet. So if you're like, I want, I'm trying to think of a, I want to just be a juggler. And it's like, yeah, juggle and post that on TikTok. Jeez, people love that shit. <laughs> like you could do anything. You could be like, I just want to plant in my house. And you're posting that and you can make money off it. I mean, I, yeah, I think you can do anything, any sort of, you can make any hobby into a full-time job or a passion and like, I don't, I wouldn't have to work at the bar one day a week if I wasn't like afraid of getting ran over by a car in New York mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. But also because I'm not making a ton of money off comedy, I'm making enough to live off, but I also live very, um, like I don't spend my money on ridiculous things. I think that's the other thing too. People are brought up in this, like, it's going to sound like a, a mentaler right now, but like that commune what's the word consume consumerism Consum- yeah yeah neither <laughs> of us know <laughs> yeah well get ready for this intelligent uh, speech <laughs> i'm about to give but um yeah like you know there's a real need to like spend and it's pushed on a lot of people and then i think people overwork and even like irish bartenders they come over here and some of them are so smart they'll work their arse off and send money back and have a house when they go home and some of them are just like well i was doing a bit of drugs at home but now I have more money so now I'm just going to do coke which is like the most expensive drug every night and then like because I've like you know I've met Irish bartenders who were like making 500 a night we're like I don't have any money and it's like yeah because you spend it all on coke but my, my point is that just being careful with your money in New York me and my boyfriend will get furniture off the street there's like these Facebook groups you can join and the furniture is great everything in our apartment is off the street or go to like bazaar market where you can get something that you don't feel bad about spending your money on. I don't buy clothes. I've worn the same. You know, I was listening to two Johnny's podcasts and they were talking about fast fashion. I get fast fashion and just keep it for forever. So it's not fast fashion. It's just cheap fashion. I just don't put it in the dryer. And I've had the same dress and this dress was expensive. It was like a hundred euro before I left Ireland. And I've worn it so many to every event, to every wedding, to every, well, there was one when I didn't wear it because it was black tie, but even that I got for 30 dollars or 30 euro, sorry. And it was just from a TJ Maxx. And I've worn that to a couple events. So these two dresses, I've worn to everything. And nobody on Instagram remembers. Every time I post a picture, they're like, oh, that dress is lovely. Like, where'd you get that? And it's like the same dress I posted like three months ago. So I think this whole idea that you have to like shop and buy loads. And if you want to pursue a passion, let's say, yeah, it's like give and take. You can't yeah. be you can't be fucking getting hammered or doing coke every weekend or you can't be buying the most expensive shoes every week or whatever so I think that you can do these things you just have to like prioritize if that does Mm. that make sense that makes absolute sense and I'm I love that answer because I do get a good few people listening who are like young people from Ireland who are hoping to move to New York and I think that the American dream is sold in such a way that it's oh you can come here and make it and have the best life and you can But that slog, the struggle, even eight years in, like you and me, you still don't have this 
disposable income. And I think with Instagram and stuff, we are kind of programmed to think that we need to buy, buy, buy. And and I do agree with you. I think you can do. And my last guest, Freya, she was amazing. She talked about all of these things that are available to you in New York that are free. You know, there's sometimes like community theater, there's off Broadway that you don't need to spend your money on these big experiences because New York is such a melting pot of activity and culture. And and although, yes, rent is ridiculously high, especially at the minute, I always say that there's always a way to make a little extra cash. You can waitress in the evening two or three days a week. You know, there's ways to make ends meet. So I completely agree with you. And like, again, about the fast fashion point as well, because I am guilty of a bit of fast fashion. I also do like rent the runway. I try, but I have to do a clear out of the our cupboard soon because like, you know, the way the seasons are changing. And I've had stuff that I've had since like I moved here and I'm like, I'm not throwing that away. That's from pennies, oh, yeah. but I love it. <laughs> same. I've had the same pennies. Like I, I don't, I don't have a relationship with my mother. And when I left to live with my dad, I had to go back to grab a bunch of clothes, but I didn't grab anything for my childhood because I was very just like, whatever, I don't need any of this stuff. But I did grab some clothes. And one of those was like a type of like jumpsuit dungarees things that I have from pennies. I got it when I was 15, right? And I still have it. I've worn it every summer as well. And I was just looking at it recently. It is starting to rip, but I've never put it in the dryer. I've just taken care of it. You know, there's no reason. I think it's the dryer and the, the like high wash or like yeah. dropping off your clothes. But yeah, so they can last or like yeah. get a little like my boyfriend. My boyfriend is like so, I don't know. I call him like a modern alpha because he's not like really alpha. <laughs> that sounds awful. And that's my own like fucking <laughs> internalized misogyny where I'm like, I need my man to be like, make fire. <laughs> but he uh, he's great. And he like has his own little sewing kit. He's so adorable. So yeah, anyway, he was just like, yeah, like I just sew the things back together. And you're like, oh, that's so okay. obvious. Like, why wouldn't we think of... I it love seems him. like my granny would do, you know. <laughs> I love him. That is amazing. How did you meet your boyfriend? We met. He's a comedian as well. And he, um, I will say this before, before, before I say that he met him. For anyone coming over, check out the skint because that has the best cheap to do things. And then there is a guy on TikTok who does, if you just look up things to do in New York under $20. And I've like, when my sister came, I didn't want to spend too much money. I didn't want her to have some money. But so anyway, that was a great TikTok. And I'd been here for eight years and I was like, I didn't know you could kayak for free on the Hudson. Amazing. Um, with my boyfriend, he's a comedian and I knew him. He had been here for five years before and I'd been doing comedy in New York two years before. He had been doing it in Arizona. So we knew each other on off for about five years. I think he had unfollowed me on Instagram at one point. He says he just doesn't remember following me back. I think he unfollowed me. <laughs> and you're in a relationship? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's. I also feel like... I post a lot and I was posting a lot and I think I don't know maybe he just didn't follow me back but I did notice a couple of male com comedians that I had started out with for whatever reason had unfollowed me and I know it's ridiculous that I noticed it but a big part of noticing was because then I noticed when I got a little bit bigger that they followed me again but I I, I do think for them they were probably like oh it was more a reflection of what they weren't doing and they probably just were in their head about it and they were like oh, I'm seeing her post clips every you know a couple of clips every week and like growing and people get insecure and they put themselves in competition especially men male comedians in New York really put themselves in competition with women and I don't know why it is because like every show has to book a woman now and so those guys will be like, oh, she's taking my spot instead of looking at the other seven guys on the line. Anyway, it's just that's something that's bothered me in New York a bit uh, or just in comedy. But um, but anyway, with Leland, he he was he dressed really bad and he looked like a kid. And when we first met 
and I know it's awful I'm very I'm sounding very vain but I mean like I'm five years older than him so like when we first met he was like a kid and he said he had a crush on me but he didn't want to ask me out because he said that he thought like I was out of his league which is very nice but then years later he kind of like dressed better we bumped into each other after the pandemic we were both he was in at that club then as well and he just looked really well he like started to work out so um I mean, he doesn't work out anymore, but he was working out before he's we too got busy, Too busy knitting. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's too busy making me breakfast. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he just, and he just looked really well. He was holding himself really well. And then he got on stage and I'd just come out of like seven years. No, I guess. So we're going out a year and a half. So maybe like six years of dating men in New York City where I date them for months. And then they'll like, after three or four months, be like, I don't want to, I don't want to commitment and you're like fuck I just wasted this time or they're a bit mental so he got on stage and he was talking about how like his guy friends are always like talking about how great hope cup culture is and he's just like I just don't I'm not interested I just want a girlfriend and he had all these jokes about it but like I just zoned in and I was like there's a man openly saying he wants a girlfriend so then I just slipped into his dms and that was kind of it after that yeah love it I love it it's so nice whenever a man is just open about what they want you know, because I know I've, I sound so like, oh, my, some single friends, but like, I think in New York and I guess any city anywhere in the world, guys might like they're having fun, they're dating and it's just, it's a frustrating place to be. And that's so nice that he was so open and that you knew each other and, and, and you're both in comedy. Is that, do you ever like butt heads on like jokes or like who you thought of the better joke? Not really. There is sometimes situations happen where we're both like okay who's gonna do a who's gonna do a bit about this we did have one time where I was talking about something about my girlfriend to him I was confiding and then he like turned it into like a bit and he was like oh I'm gonna do that on stage and I was like you are not we have to make sure that we don't not everything is comedy and also they're gonna fucking know that's so obviously I'm your girlfriend and it's so obvious that that's me talking about my friends my friends are amazing but it was it was just about which they're not they're these are uh three comedian girls but um they they had a kind of I can say it here I feel like it's say I fucking hope so but anyway um but they had uh all had like a little bit of a falling out but they're all grand now but at the time I felt like I had to go incognito to see each of them do you know like I couldn't post yeah. on my Instagram story until it was all resolved it's all resolved now but he wanted to do a bit about being like girls being like spies and I was like they'll know they'll be like oh so you have been seeing her yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like trying to be fucking Switzerland you know yeah as well it's probably good being able to like talk to somebody because I guess what I was going to bring this question into was like how constantly performing might affect your emotional well-being and you know how does that how do you kind of navigate that it does like we had a massive fight recently because you know I think both of us prioritize comedy a lot and I don't want that you know I've, I've lost friends over it you know and there's a group of Irish people here that are really nice but I, I it was wrecking my head because with the pandemic all of my shows were done at like 6 7 p.m because it was park shows so I got to really hang around with these Irish people and they're so nice and I was having a great time and I was like I don't really drink and I was drinking and then once it got busy again, I really struggled with, okay, so then I was like, okay, well, my shows are done at 10, I'll try to meet them. And then I was like exhausted. And so I had to kind of just be like, right, I just, when I can, I can and stop trying to like, I just, I, it's not the same as the pandemic. I can't just, I'm busy again or whatever. So I had to prioritize comedy. So it's like, I prioritize it over friends for the most part. And when you're not going out every weekend with a group, they just forget about you. And it's not their fault. You know, it's just, you can't. 
keep up with that lifestyle so then with my boyfriend it's like I don't want us to also prioritize comedy it's just kind of sad you know Mm. because it's like we should have date nights and make sure that but anyway I had tickets for a concert and he had accepted like an unpaid spot that night but I paid for the tickets so I was like really annoyed about it but also like as a comedian I understood that he really wanted to get in at this place it was like a hard place to be in because I as a comedian I would be like yeah of course you should take that spot you need to take all the spots but as a girlfriend I'm like uh, I was only be like abandoned at this concert you know yeah, so yeah. but we did talk about that and he was like yeah we should make more of an effort so then we had another day and I planned and I got asked to do a last minute spot but I was like I said no and we had a great time and it was it was like great for both of us to be like we need to prioritize our relationship as well comedy can't be because it's also like you're just it's kind of sad when you think about it like yes you need to make your money and yeah you need to do it as much as possible but this New York City hustle culture like a few of my friends moved to LA that are comedians because they were like I can't do it three or four times a night and in LA it's if you do it three times a week you're like killing it Whereas here you're expected to get up like multiple times a night and you're just going to make people laugh. And it's like, you have to also do stuff that makes you laugh and have a good time. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And I think that really can translate to lots of different careers and relationships. And especially it's important when you're in New York, because I find I totally relate to that. Like you have to mind your energy and especially given that you're a performer and he's a performer, you can't like burn the candle at both ends. And, you know, I even find that like a couple of years ago, like 18 months ago, I sort of decided that I was trying to like people please too many people. And you know, like I would always make sure like I was doing the most at work and then I would like plan to meet this group of friends or like this friend or, and then I was like, I actually just decided one day I was like, I'm going to invest time into the relationships that like serve me better and just prioritize. And I think that definitely when you're here and you're from a different place, which is basically everyone, you do want to get that sense of community and you feel like you have to go, go, go. But It's really important, I think, that point that you've made to recognize that you need to put yourself first, career especially, you yourself and then your relationships. And there's no shame in that and you shouldn't feel guilty. And people will eventually get to that point as well. I think in this kind of 20, 30 year old like space that we're in, everyone's at different points, but they'll get it at a point and you don't need them to approve of what your choices are, I think is is like the takeaway I would get from that. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think I think that's so true about prioritizing certain. I'm I was such like I literally if it wasn't for the pandemic I wouldn't have a learned how to just be alone. Like I'd have to go out and see people every fucking second. Secondly, go to therapy, and in therapy she was like, "You're like a a people pleaser. You're like a savior fantasist." So I was like, "All right," um, <laughs> but I do love helping people, and I love just going above and beyond. And so ever since that, I was like realizing I had loads of people in my space who like take, 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 and and I I don't necessarily ask for help back, but I was like, oh, when I when I pull back a little bit, it was like they expected it then. So I think it's really good advice to be like prioritize the people who who give like give as much as you give you know mm. and and um and because then I was like god I, I was giving my energy to so many people who then I had all these great friends who didn't expect it but I wasn't giving them enough time so like the last few months I've been really like okay I need to prioritize those friendships if I can't now obviously this summer I've been so busy because I was getting ready to record but um because I have these Latin friends that are the ones who told me to do comedy 
and they're so great because they totally get that I'm busy and I could not see them for three months but then I could meet up with them and they're like I could text them and they'll be like yeah we're going to be at this bar tonight and I'll go out and they'll always come up to like come out to the big gigs and there's never like a we you know it might be just like oh we haven't seen you in a while how have you been but it's not they don't like make you feel guilty about it not that Mm anyone specifically does but you know you might have like I did have like a friend from bar work once who I just couldn't get it that I couldn't come out and I was doing comedy and it kind of like just we just grew apart because of it but um but yeah so I think yeah I, I just sort of so I just went off in a little rant no, there but you know it's good it. the mouse is gone the whole Yay. time we were talking the whole time we were talking he was rustling and I was like don't get distracted try and concentrate but honestly if this mouse cr- I was like he's gonna crawl on my shoulder or something during this podcast <laughs> So I'm glad the mouse is gone. Where actually in New York do you live? I live in Chelsea. So that's another thing to uh, like. I love Chelsea. uh, I know I'm like hit the jackpot because my boyfriend has a rent controlled apartment. So I moved in with him in mid-August and it's we're just really lucky because his uncle had it since like 93. So yeah, I guess if you're planning to move to New York, try to get rent control or rent stabilized. Like our rent is less than a thousand for both of us. So last mm-hmm. month he was like, I was like, how much is the rent? And he was like 430, including bills. And I was like, what? So I, I could give him that. I could just pay for my cash from like, you know, the week or whatever. It was like crazy. So. Oh my God, that's amazing. I'm glad that you're in that situation because it is so hard to come by and rent can really debilitate your like especially now because I get so like not so many but people asking about where to live and it is such pipe dream when you come here to like live in Manhattan and it is quite difficult to be able to afford it especially when you move here but you know as you say there's rent stabilized there's you can also live in the boroughs and make your way in did you always live in Manhattan or were you other places no and I feel kind of guilty I texted my boyfriend last night being like thanks so much for asked me to live with you I actually love Chelsea and I said that to him because when he asked me I was like real like oh I don't know I don't want to leave a story like such an now I look back like a few months ago and be like you dumb cow like but but I just loved Astoria I loved my apartment in Astoria and Astoria is very affordable so my rent in Astoria was like 925 which isn't bad and I had a big room and it was just off the it was like a five minute walk from the train it was close to the park I would tell everybody, go to Astoria. You'll always bump into an Irish person in Astoria as well, but it's not like full Irish, like loads of different people from different walks of life. Like you walk down one street, it's a Greek street with all Greek food. And then you walk down the next street and it's a totally different culture. So I think Astoria is amazing. And how would you describe yourself? Obviously, you would assume you're an extrovert because you're on stage all the time. Do you enjoy that time of winding down and being on your own and being in your own apartment? Yeah, no, I love being alone now. And that was only because of therapy. And I I also feel like any Irish person listening to me talking about therapy is going to roll their eyes. But just go. You all need it. (laughs) It does help. I feel like she'd say this thing and it's kind of like, you know, because Irish people cringe to anything like kind of emotional. But she'd say like, run to the self. And I remember being like, all right. But I think about that a lot. Like, I'm like, oh, I should just be alone and spend time alone because we can't. Well, I was working at the bar before the pandemic daytime. So I was serving people at the bar and then I was going out and doing comedy. And then you're kind of supposed to network with a couple of comedy. I don't anymore because I'm fine and I'm doing my thing. I don't really need to. But I was sometimes I get to the point, you know, you'll be at like a show and you'll be talking to people. And I feel like my face is sore from kind of just like trying to be polite and smiling at them. I feel like I used to be extrovert, but I think I've become way more introvert. Like I'm excited to get home and just like have a cup of tea, watch my show. It's just a lot. 
I yeah. don't know talking to people I don't know I totally changed since the pandemic I'm not I don't get any FOMO like if I see people out and I'm like I didn't want to go out I'm so happy if I stayed in you know I love that Katie you and I are in the same place because I used to be that way with like I felt like I had to be at the event and talk and sell yourself and you'd literally walk out being like oh my god I've nothing left and now I'm yeah. like smug whenever I'm missing an event look at yeah. me giving myself really good self-care having my tea yes. enjoying my book it's just it's important and it's good to say and I love love that you're so open about therapy I think it was I was talking to my friend last night about this actually and I forget who it was that she quoted but she was saying about how Irish people are like beyond psychoanalysis <laughs> like we're so like in our heads that we can't open up so and I think that it's such a juxtaposition when we come to somewhere like New York and America, because they're also into therapy and you're like, oh my God, this is intense. But I love how you've opened up about it, like really helping you be with yourself because we're in this big city and it can be lonely and it's good to be comfortable in your own skin. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think Irish people, of course, will like slag Americans. And I think we have this thing where it's like, just get on with it. And it's like my friend who's Latin and um, he's from Colombia. He'd be like, and I find Latin people are very similar to Irish people. And so he was like, oh, I don't know, like, I think you're wasting your money. No, mine's only $15 a week. So I'm not wasting any money. That's cheaper than a cocktail here. And I only do it twice a month, but because I, you can get on these for anybody who is listening and comes to America, it's a thing called Valera Health. So it's very cheap. So there's lots of things. If you just look into it, you can get things on the cheap. But, um, but he was like, why wouldn't you just like talk to a friend? Don't need a therapist. And it's like, I would never dump my shit on a friend. Like that's, I hate when people do that as well. When you're kind of like, I want to give advice and stuff, but sometimes you're not qualified for the things that people emotionally dump on you. And so I would never, I would feel embarrassed too. I don't want to be seen as a victim or I don't want to, someone being like, well, that's not as bad as you could have lost a leg or, you know, cause that's very Irish thinking. It's like, oh, well, it's fine. But you know, I still have my legs or whatever. Do you know the way we do that sort of like, it could be worse. And it's actually really bad where it's like, you can just go to a therapist be like, oh, well, you know, I kind of feel bad about this or feel low about this. And you don't need to be like, well, how are you? Or you don't need to me like make a joke out about it. So they feel comfortable about the shitty thing you're talking about in your childhood. It's I think it's the best thing ever because you're paying them. They listen. As you're talking out loud, you start to figure out like, oh, yeah, that is shit. Or ever since I went to therapy, I don't have night terrors anymore. And I've had them since I was young. Wow. So I it like 100% can work. And I mean, I'm sure you have to shop around for therapists and you have to just be like vulnerable or whatever. I think it's not that Irish people aren't able to. It's that it's a very unwilling to be vulnerable and really. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't think we have the words for the emotions like so. Here they have like emotion wheels and they're taught all these other words that we're not taught. Like to my therapist, sometimes I'm like, I feel this thing that, you know, feels like anger, but happy. And she's like, she's able to, I just, I've never had to express that before. Yeah, yeah, I totally get it. You know, Ireland produces such like deep artistic, we're a land of like scholars and poets. And, you know, we have such a rich history and culture and, and it's not that we don't have the, emotional depth I think it's just that like a generational trauma with the famine and everything like that so I have a good friend who's Irish and is a therapist in New York and she's experienced like helping both Irish people and American people and it's unbelievable how much we can progress you know from what she's sort of said to me and she's helped me by just being able to say all the things that you feel to somebody who has no idea who you are because like that, I think that we really rely on our friendships here when you're away, whether you live in England or you live in just anywhere that you live that's not your home where your family are. 
you do depend on your relationships and you don't want to exhaust our friendships that can all weigh on you and then so it's so it's just it's healthy it's something I'm really like I'm really happy that you would promote and you know more and more people I think are talking about it so I will definitely leave as well I'll get that resource that you mentioned and leave it on this episode because I think there's definitely such a space for that conversation to keep growing this is kind of off the topic but as a female comic in New York and especially as a immigrant comic in New York how do you feel about representation and diversity on the comedy scene do women get the same amount of spots and opportunities as men I think yeah I think that they they say they want like diverse and more female lineups and some places really try that but I still think men get a lot and like when there's just not as many women doing it so more women are going to come up and that will change as time goes on but yeah no I still think like I talked to my friend recently and she was saying like a lot of writers rooms are still men and so I I think that it's all talk but I I don't know Uh, I do think things are getting better Um, like the comedy club I work at they really really do book women and they the booker is a woman and she tries to put as many women as possible but yeah I don't know like I I do think that right now America really hates white women and so and it's just funny because yeah there's a load of them that are really annoying and they need to stop fucking saying shit and getting caught on camera like Jesus but it's like we're not I think people here are always being like grouped and I feel like women in general didn't have a great time in the world you know it's only recently when you think about it like all this equality and now all of a sudden they're like well we also hate white women and I do feel a bit bad for them and sometimes because I think well okay now you've just grouped a whole but that's just what people do and that's especially in America that's what they do a lot they stereotype and group people um I think having an accent helps you know and I think people when they know you're from Ireland they don't put you in that Mm. in that box thankfully you know you get to be like like Sean Fiddity has a great joke where he says like when he meets people who are not white he'll like really tone up his accent to be like you know just got here so yeah. he'll like, you know he'll be doing like the hacky Irish accent like top of the morning yeah but it's very funny because it's true because you do want to kind of separate yourself from any of the bullshit that went on here or any of the but I don't know you know America's really strange because you see like when I went out to Las Vegas we went to the Grand Canyon and driving you know I saw like insane poverty and that was like white people as well and I've never seen anything like that America's just yeah but I I think the diversity thing is great because they need to be booking you know some male comics sometimes I heard them they're saying like oh they should just book the funniest and I was like "I, I, I truly think that the funniest comedians in the city some of the funniest comedians I've seen have been black comedians or minority comedians and I also I also think and maybe just because I relate to them better because they're coming from a kind of like I don't know me being an immigrant they're usually talking about being first generation immigrants especially with minorities so I kind of can relate to like their experience or what they're talking about their parents went through or a lot of time black comics have grown up with a bit of like Catholicism so we understand that too so I, I think we just relate better but for audiences like I'm going to be able to talk to women I'm going to be able to say things to women that's more relatable than a man can say I truly think and the more you give women the opportunity the funnier they're going to get and the more you give minority comedians the opportunity the funnier they're going to get so you might be like pissed off and think well this comic's only been doing it four years why is she on the lineup with me and it's like because you got to open those doors she's going to get better and also 
she's going to say stuff about being, let's say, Indian, that there's going to be fucking maybe like five Indian audience members that relate to that. Like, I always think when I'm booking a show, I want to book it as diverse as possible. So every audience member sees themselves represented because mm-hmm. they're showcases. They're not mm-hmm. like just like a headliner where you're going. Everybody loves Andrew Schultz. So they're going to see Andrew Schultz. But like so when it comes to di- diversity, I think it's really important to book as many mm-hmm. as possible. I don't know if that really answered your question. No, it does. It does. And it makes, it's interesting to me as well, because I think, especially living in New York over the past few years, and as an immigrant, the the news media has all been so insane. And, you know, there's so many different opinions, especially when you start to look outside of like New York and you just go to like Pennsylvania or like upstate New York. There's so many different political opinions. And I feel like, I don't know if you relate that, we don't really have a voice because we don't have a vote unless you're an American citizen. And, but I think what's really empowering about what you do is that, and what stand-up does in general is like, you're, you're contributing to the social conversation. You have actually a platform to like, get your opinion out there, not in a way that's extremely like, this is what I think. And you have to agree with me, like so many Americans do, (laughs) but like, it must be, it's kind of almost like a gift that you can, I guess, it must be difficult as well. Like you probably have to be very aware of what's going on in the news and the world. And have you ever like seen something on the news or your experience in like a social shift in New York? And you're like, I'm going to bring this into my stand-up because I feel like I want to talk about this. Um, Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Like, and sometimes it just won't work and you just move on from it. But yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. I like to like when the capital stormers were happening, all of the Americans were like, oh, my God, we have the first white terrorists. And so I have a joke where I say, like, that was our people, actually. (laughs) And I have like all these bits about them calling the capital people terrorists and stuff. So and I talk as well about like not feeling white, even though I know I'm white. And obviously we have like levels of white privilege of course, but I don't relate to this country or this culture. And I've related more with people, even my therapist, I requested not to have a white therapist just because I was like, I just, I just need someone who's maybe more likely like has an immigrant parent or just understands a bit more about like the outside world. Not saying that, you know, I could have gotten a white therapist and they would have been amazing but I was like I'm just going to check this because um and that's the thing yeah so I do talk a bit about it's kind of like all of a sudden you come over here and people are like you are this and you're in this box and you're like whoa I just got here I'm not I, I don't know any of this stuff and so you have to learn a lot or like you know you get people put things on you so like I was on the train and this guy and it's just interesting that you said about voting this guy asked me for a dollar and I was like and he I not to say like he just didn't look homeless right and you know because usually homeless people they look homeless and it's very sad but this guy didn't he looked like some guy who just come out of Williamsburg you know he was dressed very well and he had like a pink balloon which is very strange okay and he was like can I have a dollar and I thought he was like trying to flirt with me or something and I was like uh I don't have a dollar and he goes then give me 20 and I was like what is going on here and then I was like oh that's just not how that works if I don't have a dollar I don't have 20 so I just thought he was trying to be like come on to me or something and then he goes where are you going and I was like to work and I was going to the comedy club and he was like where's that and I was like I'm can we stop I don't want to do this and then so we're on the train and he's like yeah you fucking white bitch you're a fucking Karen I bet you voted for Trump and then I just go I can't vote I'm not from this country so yeah. don't put that on me mm-hmm. and then he was like oh where are you from you Lithuanian and then he just went into like naming all these countries like he never named Ireland but he was and then he threw a bottle at me 
And then like, and there was like a woman beside me who was like an older black lady. And she was like moving towards me, kind of like, are you okay? And like giving him a dirty look, like stop this. And then I just got off at the next stop. And he was, oh, he was singing like a song at me, smiling at me as he was like throwing stuff. It was very, now look, obviously that man probably just has mental health issues, I hope. But because of the discourse, you know, mm-hmm. and he was just like, obviously like, I hate white women. And, and maybe he's had like a terrible experience with them. But I was like, oh I just I'm not from this country yeah <laughs> just yeah. leave me alone I can't I didn't vote Trump I can't vote and if I could vote I wouldn't have voted him in exactly I think what you've said there is really it's like a light bulb moment for me as well is why do we feel like we have to put everyone in a box and it's a very American thing to be really really sure on what your beliefs are and I find it really hard to have any political conversations just for the crack because I'm like, I kind of think this and then I sort of think this and then yeah. people are like, no, it's either this or this. And that's like the divide of America. Like it's literally 50-50. It's so hard to get into that conversation. Yeah. I wanted to and I haven't yet, but I wanted to write a bit on it, but I don't know how to, but how America is so obsessed with the individual. Like you got to be individual. You got to like have your own style, your own like, especially in New York, it's not really community based. And then they have the exact same political opinions as 50% of the population. It seems to be either, you know, you're liberal and you're, you agree with everything liberal says, or you're Republican and you agree with everything. And then you got your libertarians who float around, but they don't really seem to have a voice because they, everybody just kind of like, they're mental. And which I think is wild because you look at the two parties. So you look at these poor, stricken white Americans where they can't even get dental care. And they're like, been fed this, they're uneducated, they can't get healthcare, but yet they're like, voting against themselves because they mm. should be voting for healthcare they should be voting for education but they've been they I am like such a conspiracy theorist with this because I'm like how are they not with the minority you know how are they not yeah. with the liberals being like we should we need this yeah but then the liberals don't push like against their religion and then and then you have loads of minorities who are liberal and agree with liberal stuff but who are also republican because it fits with their religion so it's like but yet they should want to have free education or free health care it would suit them you know if there was like better immigration uh, rules so that they're not getting fucking hunted down by ice so it's like i there's all these groups of people that actually if they work together but they're being pitted against each other because of racism because of xenophobia Mm -hmm. because of religion and so they're forced to stick with one party when it's like that's not I just doesn't make any sense to me um and then the liberals are mental like I I would consider myself liberal but I'm like sometimes I see some of the stuff or the tweets and I'm like rolling my eyes like I don't even know why there's not enough of like let's take from both of these or let's come together or I joke about America and you would think okay you're not joking about minorities you're not joking about race you're not joking about so that's like a safe thing and it's not because people get the same people who complain and I know this because I do this podcast sometimes that has like all these alt-right people in it and the guy has me on because I don't agree with him and I'm like innocent and all this stuff and it's kind of fun to be like that's not right that's you know so and I get a few followers from that but then the same people who complain that you can't joke about minorities or women or race are the ones that got really upset on my jokes about America and you can tell because you click on the page and they're like profile picture is a gun and then like this is my bitch you know like (laughs) they're clearly or they have like some our confederate flag so it's just crazy to me that they're just so in their own perspective so it's like joking about America is like the same that like joking about a country it's just a land it's like a yeah it should be the safest thing or or even then if they're like the type of people who are like we should be allowed to joke about everything freedom of speech but then they come and attack me but freedom of speech but not for a woman Mm -hmm. um uh, so yeah I don't know living here has just been like 
I don't understand it. No, I don't have the high intelligence to figure it out enough, but I'm just fully convinced it's conspiracy theory to keep everybody down and keep the rich rich. And, and there's just so much propaganda. Like if you're like, yeah, I'd love free healthcare. They're like communist. And you're like, yeah. that's not what I fucking said. They're like, Russia. <laughs> You've hit the nail on the head where I think at this particular point in politics in America, it's so extreme. The divide is just beyond ever the extremity that it is now and I think it is important to even go on that podcast and have those conversations with the alt-right people because it keeps our own sort of moral barometer in check and so do you think that you will stay here like do you think New York America is home or is that not something you've thought about I don't know I want I like my dream is and I will just say uh, yeah it is funny I think Irish people we are very humble because we are like oh I don't have I I haven't read enough books to so even I felt guilty when I said like about the therapy and like being like I don't know this word because I was like well maybe that was just because I was brought up weird maybe other Irish people know all the words so don't ever if any listeners are I'm just speaking from my own perspective but um yeah no I don't know because my boyfriend even like we talked about getting married and he was like I was like yeah I'd love to get married in Ireland because honestly I'd love to get married in Ireland because it weeds out having to pay for some of these fuckers here you know like so expensive here so expensive and then that way like my close close friends if they want to come over they can stay at my parents house but I don't want a big wedding or anything but then he's like he really wants to get married in New York we're not even fucking engaged we're talking about this shit but um but I don't think he would want to live in Ireland. My dad was like, you could do comedy anywhere now. So with the internet, you should move back and have a few kids and I'll be retiring and I could like mind the kids. And he was like, and Leland's American, so he'll get a job anywhere. And I'm like, he's also a comedian. I love how he just, but no, my dream would be to get so successful that I could have an apartment in Dublin and have an, and keep the apartment here and an apartment in France. Love it, love it, (laughs) throw that in there. I think the best fun I've ever had has been in Dublin, though. Like, I think the vibe in Dublin, like people talk about New York and I'm like, even New York going out is a little too intense. Nobody like mixes with each other. And I, I, it's too much choice that I'm like, if someone doesn't pick a place, I'm like, I'm not going out because I can't be like walking around (laughs) and trying to figure out where to go. Whereas like, I feel like Dublin's nice and small. You know, your places, people end up talking to each other. You're just dancing. You have so much fun. Every time I go home, I have more crack at home. And then I'm like, oh, this is a great place. But then, yeah, I don't know. I just love New York as well. It's hard. It's so hard. I think that your career in New York right now is just in such a good place. Just stay and keep doing it. And on that note, where can people see you? Where can people find you? So, well, I'm just at Katie Boyle comic on everything. And on Instagram, I just post it in my Instagram stories because it changes so much. Like I remember someone being like, why aren't your dates on your website? And so really I'll only be putting dates if it's like a headlining gig that I want people to come to and headlining. I just do out of the city. But for the most part, I just work at New York Comedy Club every week. And that's where I get all like my consistent spots. But then it's very different. I could be at a different club. So I'll just post it on my Instagram story. So that's just at Katie Boyle comic on everything. So it's different every week. It's literally all over the graph I have a podcast called The Shift which I do every week fingers crossed I forgot to do it last week but um I was just so busy with the yeah and I, I will have a special coming out and a recording so I really really appreciate your time today Katie thank you so much for being a guest oh, I appreciate it too and we'll have you on The Shift whenever you're ready and free yes up The Shift I'm so excited thank you so much. thank you